0: Stephen was one of the first leaders in the early church movement in Jerusalem and his reputation was great amongst the the early Jesus followers and he was uh, known as wise, God was using him to perform miracles, and his, his reputation was was well deserved. It was easy to see that God's hand was on this man's life, so uh, he was made uh, a leader by the apostles. And as he was going about the business of of telling people about Jesus, it didn't sit so well with the leaders in the in the Jewish temple, and they started confronting him about all of this Jesus talk, because it wasn't good for business. <laughs> they, their their reputation was was diminished in the community. It was, it was very threatening to them. And every time they tried to question him, or corner him, or getting him to say something that was blasphemous, his response would have been eloquent, uh, full of wisdom, and full of good news for the people in Jerusalem. So these religious leaders conspired and got someone to to lie about Stephen's work, saying that he was talking against the laws of Moses and talking against the temple, which wasn't the case. And so there was this kangaroo court kind of a trial that was set up uh, very much uh, echoing the kind of trial that, that Jesus was, was subjected to. And in this, it's in Acts chapter 7, Stephen retells the story of, of almost the entire Old Testament, but tells it in light of Jesus. He tells it with Jesus' glasses on and, and reframes uh, their whole worldview of saying that Jesus was the point of all of this. And, and throughout the ages, the children of Israel had missed the point. But now the point has been revealed that it was Jesus that this is what it was all about. And then he gets into trouble when he says, and you, the Pharisees, you, the, the leaders of the temple, you have missed it, even to the point of killing the one that God sent. And they were Outraged, And they, they grabbed Stephen and drug him outside of the, the trial to the edge of the city and, and started stoning him. And in Acts, picking up in Acts chapter 7 verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So this is the moment where things for the, the Jesus movement went from not so great to worse. The persecution heated up. And this is the backdrop. Uh, years later, probably decades later, that that James, the brother of Jesus, is writing his letter to, to Jesus' followers of a Jewish background all throughout the Roman Empire. But this is his context in Jerusalem, this moment uh, wasn't just something that happened a long time ago. It was still something they felt the domino effects of this fierce persecution, and things like I said, things only got harder after Stephen was killed. So we've been going through the Book of James, uh, verse by verse, here for the past couple months, and this is their context. They are they were wanting by this time relief from oppressive Rome and from the injustice of the Jewish temple system. And it's amazing when you think about it that that they've gone through real persecution for decades. Imagine how how much longer it actually felt. Like it's one thing on the calendar, but imagine how long They who had been crying out to God, what are you doing, God? You sent Jesus here. We followed Jesus. We're we're a part of this new covenant, but we're still hurting. We're still uncomfortable. We're still suffering. And James had tremendous wisdom and insight for the readers of this letter. But also for us, we can glean from because in my own life experience. I know when I'm suffering, things seem to take like forever. It's almost like time warps, or you you have fun, and it seems like, ooh, that went by in a flash. But when we're hurting, when we're suffering, it's like, God, what are you doing? So if that's you today, let's lean into this, just a couple of verses in James chapter five, and we'll pick up in verse seven, because I believe there's hope here for you today. James says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Be patient. Stand firm. This verse reminds me of 1988. I was nine years old. And Jesus was supposed to come back. It had been a big, uh, big prediction. There were in my town, there were billboards along the freeway saying this date. I forget the the actual date that the prediction was. And it was talk in my family. It was talk in my church. My grandfather was a pastor. My mom was in ministry. And they said, no one's going to know the day. But it was... Still, something in the back of my mind, like Jesus might actually come back. What's that going to look like? What if it is true? And the day came, and I'll never forget it. Uh, I I rode my bike home from school with my friends, and we played we played some football in their backyard. And um, and after, well, I forget what time it was. The streetlights came on. That's what time I had to be home. So I drove my my bike home. And my mom's car wasn't there. And my grandparents' car wasn't there. And I'm thinking, Jesus came back, and I missed the cut. And I started to hear ambulances going off, like, oh, well, that's totally gonna happen, because when Jesus comes back, and if people were driving, and they just disappear in their car, and there's accidents, and I started uh, feeling the anxiety, my heart started pounding. I, I keyed into my house and called, Mom, Mom, Pop, Nobody was there. I'm like, this is it. They're all in heaven, and now I've got to figure things out. And I ran to my room and started packing a bag, cause who knows? I've got to be ready to go at, at a moment's notice. And I put the most important things in there: clean underwear, check, uh, toys, check. You know, I was nine years old. I didn't know how to prepare for for uh, survival on my own. And just as I had stuffed the last couple things in my backpack, uh, which were moon pies, by the way, cause an essential survival tool if you did not make the rapture as moon pies because those will survive anything and they never go bad and they're chock full of calories. So I was zipping up my backpack and I heard the door open and in comes my mom and in comes my grandparents and I looked at the clock and all of that time which felt like hours I'd only been home about 15 minutes and even though I was nine I felt silly like of course my mom was coming back. And mom, I know you're watching this. I don't have, I'm telling this story from a, uh, a scar, not an open wound. It's totally fine. Um, I, I grew up and, and I'm, I'm doing okay. But I felt silly. Of course she was coming back. But in that moment, I didn't know. And I was looking at the window and, and listening for the car coming down the street. But of course, and it's normal to get anxious when we're uncomfortable. James knows that. When he's saying be patient, he's not being cruel. He's not being insensitive to us. But he still does command his his recipients of this letter who were in that, that state of, of crying out, like, what's going to happen? Be patient. Be patient. God's not far away. God's not... God's not absent or 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 like, oh yeah, I forgot about them. No, God is at work above this, in this, underneath this, around this creation. God is at work. There's a mission to fix all of this. And then in that, in that image of of waiting and feeling anxiety and feeling discomfort while we're we're suffering, James gives us this image of a farmer who waits for the spring rains and waits for the autumn rains. And I've grown up near the beach most of my life or in the city most of my life, but for one year I lived in a small farming village and it was tobacco farms in Funiki, Japan. And we got there in the, the harvest season, in the summer where where they were, they were Taking down all the leaves, and it was so interesting to watch because they weren't using gigantic farming equipment. And and to watch, not long after that, these farmers, because most of Japan is mountains, so watching someone plow on the slope of a mountain is is actually entertaining. It was fascinating watching them plant their seeds, and I'm wondering when when are the plants gonna sprout up? But they planted the seeds, and then. Uh, the snow came, which was wild for me, at the end of October. And there was snow on the ground from October until late May. It was freezing cold there. But they, the, the farmers didn't freak out. They were, they were just waiting and waiting and, and, and weeding once the snow melted. And uh, the, the, the plants grew back so quickly. Uh, but when I was watching, I was thinking, like, okay, these, they know what they're doing. I'm freaking out because there's no plants. And remembering, uh, remembering to the last year like, whoa, it's almost June and these plants aren't very tall. But the farmers, they weren't full of anxiety. No, they, they were trusting in the cycle. Uh, they were trusting that, that the rains would come, that the plants would grow like they're supposed to, even though they weren't in control of those factors. And it's a reminder to me just like James is reminding us that God works on a different time scale. God works on a different time scale than you have and God works on a different time scale than I have. And I know it's simple like and a lot of us have heard that. God's never late. He's right on time. Amen, brother and sister. Like but seriously, just take a breath and think about that for a second. God sees all of human history in a fly. Like you can see it all at once. You and I only perceive this moment. We can remember back. We can dream about the future, but all we really have is this moment, but God sees it all. And there's, there, there can be a great comfort in that for us, knowing this feels that like it's taking forever. But God sees the very end of all of this. God sees the end of all of this. But God also sees the end of what you are going through. So in this moment of tension, things aren't right. I want God to make them right. James also speaks in verse 9. And I think it's interesting what he tells his, his, uh, his readers. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. When, when people are waiting, when people are suffering, things get chippy. I'm thinking of, of being on a plane and you've, maybe you've been waiting to take off or you're waiting for the plane to get to the gate at the end of a long journey. And a lot of us have had this experience when the flight attendant or captain comes on the intercom and says, I'm sorry, folks, it's going to be about 45 more minutes. You can probably hear the noises right now. Oh, come on. Oh, it's canceled. Things get chippy when people are waiting. And things get tense because people are uncomfortable. And one of the natural human responses when people are merely uncomfortable or when they're suffering is they look around to for something or someone to unload their anxiety on, to unload their anger at. And James here is saying, okay, I know you're uncomfortable, but wait, 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 wait. Don't grumble and complain and and focus that on other people. That's not the way of Jesus, and it's not good for you either. Because when you do that, you're judging others. And there it is again, the same theme of human beings taking and assuming the place of God. And James is warning and Not so subtly reminding people, you are not God. And even when you're suffering, don't judge one another. There's a better way to do this. Uh, He's he's warning his reader to connect and to focus on the the connection between speech and judgment. He said that's like a a, light light. On, on the dashboard of your life like when you sense yourself when you sense yourself grumbling and complaining and judging other people your focus is in the wrong place when we sense this compulsion to grumble and complain against other people it's a natural human response but it's one that God's calling us to, to notice, be mindful of to submit to God and say oh I noticed this help me, help me that's the time to stop and to recalibrate and to do what james told his his people to do when we feel that to to recalibrate and ask god for more patience and more wisdom it's a real dynamic but it's it's one that we can face differently than the world faces the world just looks around and goes oh that's the reason they're wrong i'm gonna just focus everything over there on that person or that organization or or whatever it is. And James says, you know what, there's people who've come before us that have dealt with that tension and that dynamic in a much healthier way. And he provides examples uh, of, uh, of people that came before and he would have expected his readers to know about the Old Testament prophets, to know about Job. And he talks about that in verse 10 brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. As you search through the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, you see these prophets, they were. I love thinking of them as, as not just fortune tellers. Sometimes God gives them a warning, saying, "If you don't turn your hearts back to God, this is going to happen." But every single one of them was a heart revealer. A prophet reveals God's heart to the community, whether they're inside the family of God or outside the family of God. And most of them, they lived like performance artists, to to help show people what God's heart is. They were shaving their heads or covering themselves in sackcloth and ashes or marrying prostitutes because God told them to and their their methods were outlandish and a lot of times they weren't always well-received. There's not a lot of uh, instances where it's recorded going, oh, I get it. But even though they spoke in the name of the Lord and they weren't always well-received, they did persevere. They were obedient because they were focused not on their circumstances or the the success of of their methods. They were focused on the one who told them to speak to the people. And they were were faithful and obedient to communicate what God told them to communicate. I love how James here lists Job. Because if you've read the book of Job, I think we all know it's not like a warm and fuzzy (laughs) feel-good a feel good story and if you read through it may be a little bit of a like wait what do you mean he he, like he persevered because there are times where he questioned god but his heart was one of trusting god with his questions job was honest in his struggles and trusted god in the end to say like okay job said god you give and you take away god you're in charge but he, he, was, he was faithful enough to to place his fears, his anxieties, and focus them in the right place so that God could work on his heart and work uh, and, and use Job for his glory. And I love this last part here. For me, this is where the good news in this passage is, but also the power for us here today in 2021. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This is a theme throughout the book of James. You know, going back to the beginning of the book where James talks about God giving wisdom generously and without finding fault. Maybe, maybe we do think when we're suffering. God's somehow forgotten us. That's that's a natural response. And James is saying, No, God hasn't forgotten you. He's right there with you. And even more than that, he's suffering with you and he's full of compassion and mercy. He's reminding his readers to focus on God, to focus on the Lord. That's what we do, that's our our response when we're going through hard times. James reminds us to not sit in judgment. That's the wrong response. And and just pick something out like whack-a-mole and wham! No, he's saying, Focus on God when things don't make sense. It may not make sense in this life, but hold on. If you hold on to something else, you're not holding on to the right thing, and you'll probably sink. But the thing that you can hold on to that will anchor you, buoy you, keep you afloat is this God that is full of compassion and mercy. And holding on to judgment, that 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 will just sink us judgment and i, I just got to point out the elephant in the room i can only imagine if you've been following along with uh, with this letter like james has just finished talking to some rich landowners and telling them not to put their their focus on their their earthly possessions and even more than that not to put their hope in their earthly possessions Because that's just as flimsy as as putting our hope in our judgments over people. But these are rich and poor people probably sitting in the same gathering. They might be in the same room. And James is here talking to people who may be uh, the, the, the victims of unfair business practices, unfair farming practices, saying, Okay, you may be praying to God and saying, God, help me. And at the same time, judging people that are sitting in the same room with you. I can't imagine how awkward that had to be (laughs) listening to this letter going, oh, I've been sitting in judgment over these people that we're, we're meeting with, like awkward. So what does all this mean? What does this mean to us in 2021? If you're taking notes, I think this means that patience matters because it allows us to grow even in the most difficult times. James mentioned some of uh, you know, the, the early prophets, the, the Old Testament prophets, but in continuing on in the tradition that, that Stephen started, he was the first martyr for his faith in Jesus. The early Christians, they weren't surprised by difficult times. I'm not quite in that boat. Whenever times get hard for me, I'm like, wait, wait a minute. I said yes to Jesus. I thought I was just supposed to like take it easy. No. Our our spiritual mothers and fathers, the first Jesus followers, they weren't surprised by difficult times. In fact, they were more surprised when things weren't difficult. You know, I was introduced about 20 years ago to Saint John of the Cross, and he was a very significant leader in the reform movement in the Catholic Church saying, let's let's go back to to following Jesus and and get away from some of the these practices that are just they're they're not the heart of Jesus. And um, he was actually persecuted. He he was uh, because of his writings and because of his leadership and who he was, he was actually arrested by other Christians and persecuted, treated he wasn't treated nice, I won't go into detail, but he understood He understood that uh, that what we think of as difficulty, God can and often does use for our spiritual growth and for God's mission. And that's a theme in James chapter one. If you ever made your way through his book, The Dark Night of the Soul, uh, there's a lot of, of wisdom in there. It's a little bit thick, but it's the kind of thing you can read through and just find a little nugget to hang on to uh, from someone who's gone through the fire. You would say that also, uh, yeah, point number two, tough times require a certain attitude in order to be dealt with effectively, even if it doesn't give us that warm and fuzzy feeling. Now, I'm a, I'm a product of a youth group in the 90s, you know, late 80s especially mid-90s, and I'm so thankful for my heritage and, and what I learned from that youth ministry environment. It was amazing. But I was also raised in America, and in my context, all of those things combined to make me think that I'm only good with God when I get this warm and fuzzy Last night of, of youth camp feeling. And friends are friends forever. The Lord's the Lord of them. Michael W. Smith. Uh, some of you won't be able to get your that tune out of your head for the rest of the day. And that is true. Like that is part of following Jesus. The comfort, the warmth, the, the feeling of, oh, this uh, John Wesley called it the strange warming of the heart. But it wasn't until my, my mid-20s and 30s that I realized that, that God is there even when I don't have all the warm and fuzzies. Uh, a very famous uh, leader in the church more recently, the 1950s and 1960s especially, Thomas Merton, he wrote that if we bear with hardship and prayer and wait patiently for the times of grace, we may well discover that in meditation and prayer, are very joyful experiences. We should not, however, judge the value of our meditation by how we feel. A hard and apparently fruitless meditation may in fact be much more valuable than one that is easy, happy, enlightened, and apparently a big success. Uh, I really resonate with that quote, that that God also speaks in the silence. Oswald Chambers who wrote my utmost for his highest he says God trusts us with his silence and it's not always fun but sometimes uh, sometimes life is just like that and we don't know and we're not able to perceive all that's going on under the surface but God is still there strengthening us God is still there and using our our willingness to follow God even when the path isn't clear uh, that, that That's like uh, what um, another writer says, like we learn from success pretty much everything we can learn uh, by, the, by the time we're about 25 years old. And we still wanna succeed and we wanna have success after 25, but success isn't, we're not learning from it as much as we used to. But it's the times when we fail or the times when we don't feel the warm and fuzzies that we really learn from from the age of 30 on. That doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy, but take heart. If you're going through a hard time or if you're, you're not succeeding, that God's working on you. Uh, there's one other one, one other example I wanted to talk to you about that I found in my research that I was really inspired by. I didn't know about Catherine of Genoa. She encourages us from, she was, she didn't She wasn't born until 1447, but she encourages us to throw ourselves into the arms of God and not rely on worldly possessions or worldly circumstances. So she was born into a a very religious family, but in 1463, she married a rich man. And he was, her husband was really focused on his riches and it caused some tension. She was very devout, she loved Jesus, and his focus on these earthly possessions and on comfort, it was a source of tension in their marriage until he lost his fortune. And they both decided together that as they moved forward, he wouldn't try to, to gain back all that they had lost. They actually found greater joy by working with the poor in Genoa than when they had early in their life, when they had all of this comfort. So hard times, they have the ability to bear certain results, even if you can't see them. All throughout these past couple weeks, looking at this, uh, I kept thinking about the example of a bamboo tree. You know, when, and and maybe you've heard this before, but when a, a bamboo tree is growing its first year, its second year, its third year, its fourth year, into its fifth year, not much happens. It only grows about this much. But in the fifth year of a bamboo tree's life, it grows 90 feet in six days. That's 90 feet. Maybe your life, you feel like you've you've been growing just a little bit and struggling in your first decade, your second decade, your third decade, your fourth decade, and you're not seeing things change. You're not seeing much growth in your life, but maybe... You're like a bamboo tree in, in, the, in the fifth or sixth or seventh decade. That's the time for you to grow 90 feet in six days. I'm so encouraged by that, that because it means that just because you don't see growth on the outside and results, like those of us in the West, we love to see those results and, and we're, we're infatuated with them. I'm ashamed to tell you how many times I've clicked on an ad that promises weight loss in three days or, or whatever, whatever outlandish health claim they, they're, they're, they're making. Because we love that. But God's way is slow. Discipleship is a slow process of being conformed to the image of Christ. The, the process of following Jesus will take us through tough times. And if we can have the humility of a farmer, to have the humility like James keeps uh, telling his readers over and over to cultivate this life of humility, um, we will trust that God is working even though we don't see the results with with our natural eyes. So I think James would challenge us today that 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 we don't judge others even if they're the source of our suffering. Like the elephant in the room today, like, I think it's quite possible, like, that that we could be making the same mistake. And, and all the, the, the things, you know, at Solid Ground Church, we see the prayer requests, and we're so glad that you reach out to us. Uh, but we're going through some stuff, some heavy stuff, where cancer. Uh, unexpected cancer, all kinds of uh, financial difficulties and relational difficulties and other sicknesses and people recovering from COVID. But maybe, maybe God is at work with all of this. And and if you're like me, the temptation or the natural impulse is to look around and point and, and find some source of this anxiety, But James' challenge to us today is is not to grumble and complain against the the source of this or we will be judged. James would challenge us to to take an inventory of our heart. The Bible says so many times, it's about the heart. Guard your heart above all else. For it's the wellspring of knowledge. Are we looking with our own natural eyes to, to this circumstance or that circumstance to explain our suffering or to be the, the silver bullet that will make our, our life better? Or are we looking to God to give us the comfort? Are we looking to God to provide that source of wisdom and patience that we need to get through our to get through our difficult circumstances? So our challenge this week is for you just to take an inventory of your heart and say, is there grumbling in your heart towards people or a system or an organization? Is there grumbling in your heart that that is leading you to judge other people? And if there is, in the loving presence of a gracious God that's full of mercy and compassion, I invite you to lay that down and say, God, please take this. To, to echo the prayer of Stephen, Lord, do not hold this against them. To echo the prayer of Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In your life situation, who are you blaming? Why not set them free? That, that Holding on to bitterness and grumbling and complaining, it's weighing you down. When I do it, it weighs me down. Why not set yourself free? It doesn't mean everything's okay. It doesn't mean that we, we we let down good and healthy boundaries. But that bitterness, that unforgiveness, or that judgmental spirit, it's only going to hurt us in the end if we continue to cultivate that. But as we cultivate trust in Jesus, as we say, God, please take this I don't want this in my heart anymore and in return please give me more peace more wisdom more patience you know that begins to change our focus you've got your problems in one hand and what Jesus says in the other you've got your your fear and anxiety and those things are all real you've got all those things in one hand and you've got what Jesus offers in the other and whichever one you hold up and focus on it colors your whole reality and how you see the world. So this week, like that stuff will still be there. But when you hold Jesus up to your face and your focus and your and and your your, your life, the problems will still still be there, but they won't overwhelm you. So I invite you to join with me now and, and start that heart check and and to lay down any judgment or bitterness that you're holding on to. So, dear Heavenly Father, this week, starting right now, will you please, through your Holy Spirit, reveal to us any way in our hearts that's offending to you. Would you please reveal anything in our hearts that would get in the way of us serving you faithfully. God, we lay down bitterness, we lay down judgment, we need your help to do this, and as we give that up, would you please help us to focus on everything that's good and pure and true and right. Would you please place truthful words on our lips and give us the wisdom to communicate those words with love and grace and authority and power. So we pray for everyone in the sound of my voice that's hurting going through a difficult circumstance, would you please reveal to them right now that you are the God that is full of compassion and mercy. We're praying that you are and reminding ourselves that you are the God that you say you are. So would you please give us a new heart here in this moment and refresh us and fill us with your love and your light. In Jesus' mighty and strong and powerful name we pray, amen. Wow, that's some pretty heavy stuff, but I'm so glad that you're here along on this journey. And I know that, that with God's help, God can get you through. And, and if we get through it together, uh, if we go together, that we can get through even the hard stuff together. And I want to encourage you to, to reach out. Let us know how you're doing. You can always find us at sgbic.com. And, and it is our honor and privilege to journey with you. So until we're back together again, I want to say a blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and may God give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll see you soon.